0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willets Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. We are excited that you're here as part of our new series. And to get us going, I wanted to kind of just just point out the idea here that Christianity makes a terrible hobby. All right, it's a terrible hobby. Now, I, I really, don't get me wrong, Christianity is great, and and hobbies are great, and I hope hope you guys have hobbies. I hope you're doing stuff and you're trying to keep your, yourselves, you know, kind of diversified in those ways. But Christianity as your hobby, not so much. Not really a workable plan. Because a hobby is something we kind of do to let off a little bit of steam, right? You know, we you know, we kind of uh, get some recreation, a little change of pace. We give it a little bit of, of time. And a hobby gives us a little bit of happiness. And some people approach their faith like this. And yet we're told in the scriptures that God is all-consuming, that he is enormous, that he is... Too big to be a mere hobby. That's the series that we're in here is called Not God Enough. And it focuses on some of these ideas. Because I think many of us, we actually like a small God. We like a, a God who is small enough. He's manageable. In fact, maybe he's even a little manipulatable, if you know what I mean. He's just small enough to be controlled. Because with a small God, we get to demand explanations. But a big God can stubbornly remain silent. With a small God, we get to call the shots. But a big God will actually make demands on our lives. And though we like a small God, Small gods cause big problems. A small God can't alleviate our overpowering fears or our debilitating anxieties. A small God can't be trusted in the midst of suffering and confusion. A small God can't bear the weight when doubts overwhelm us and when our hearts accuse us. The challenging and often frustrating cry of the scriptures chapter after chapter is that God is not small he's not small we have a God that is bigger than the whole of creation I want to consider Job Job has a book of the Bible named after him and for reasons unknown To Job, he suffered these cataclysmic losses. It was a terrible season of his life. Wealth, gone. His family, all dead. Except for his wife, who was not particularly helpful in this whole situation. When bad things happen, people will often say, Well, at least you still got your health. At least you still, as if somehow that is going to make us feel better. and, And as long as we have our health, then nothing else seems to matter. No, Job didn't even have that. Covered with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, suffering in anguish, which is a horrifying thought. I get a hangnail, and I whine like a baby. I'm like, oh, man, this hurts. This guy is covered with boils. He's picking at them with little shards of clay. By the way, if, if he had known why this was all happening, I don't know if it would have made him feel much better. We know as the reader of the story what happened. God was talking to Satan one day and they ended up making this sort of like thing, deal, plan that, that God let Satan execute that caused Job all of this misery. I don't think Job, if he knew that part of it, he would have found that particularly refreshing. And after many depressing chapters where his friends blame Job for his misery and Job denies any wrongdoing, Job finally demands an audience with God, which, amazingly, he gets. God shows up. And for four chapters, God grills Job with questions, over 60 questions, all relating to the power and the wisdom of God. He says things like, where were you when all of this began, Job? Where were you? Everything happened, everything got started, where were you? Do you even understand the basics of creation? I mean, just tell me, what what do you actually really know? I mean, have you seen the highest heights? Have you visited the deepest deep even of just this one planet? Tell me. Go ahead. Tell me. God, he goes through space and time and the earth and the sky and the seas and the animal kingdom. And he just keeps questioning Job. He asks him, do you cause the constellations to appear? Do you tell the lightning you know, to, to strike and then the lightning reports back to you where it struck? Is that what you do, Job? Did you give the animals their instincts? Who who did that, Job? A whole long list of questions like this. With the answer, of course, being no. I didn't do any of those things. I don't understand any of those things. It's as if God is saying, then what are we talking about here? What can you actually think you know about why I do what I do? You can open up in a Bible to Job chapter 40. I want you to take a look at uh, this couple of verses with me here. You know, sometimes people will tell me when they're they're going through a really difficult time in life and will often recommend, say, go read Job. And sometimes people will come back and they'll say, oh, I read Job and I, I was comforted. And I always want to know why. Like, like, what, what, what did you find Comforting. I, I can understand why we we can gain something out of it, but what did you find comforting? <laughs> like what did what did it what did in the story of Job made you made made you happy? Because it's not that kind of a story, and it makes me wonder sometimes. I'm like, really, how could you feel better after reading it? I want I want to know what truths you gained, because sometimes when you read through it, the messages you get, the the uh, lessons that we learn from it might not be the the primary lesson that the book was intending to give us. But I think a piece of that idea, a key idea here is found in Job 40, verse 4. If you've got an NIV there in front of you, New New International Version, I want us to read this together. So read this out loud starting in verse 4. Read it nice and loud with me. Ready? I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. So after all of this grilling, Job can come along and say, actually, I don't understand this any more than I did when it began some 40 chapters earlier. I don't understand. God never gave Job an explanation. But Job did begin to understand something. He learned that he was unworthy. Unworthy, what an interesting idea. He realized that he was woefully ignorant. He wasn't in any position to question or to challenge God. Job learned that trust is still the best course of action that no matter what he was facing, he could still trust God. J.D. Greer, he wrote a book that is the, by the same title as this series. It's actually what inspired this the series called Not God Enough. And in this book, he does this fascinating little exploration of, of power. He compares God's power to ours. And I, I just found it really fascinating. He said that astronomers tell us there are three septillion stars in the universe. Three septillion. Now, of course, that's a number that's somewhat meaningless to us, right? Like, what is a septillion, right? It's just giant. We don't really... So he tries to go through this little thought exercise to explain it. He goes, think of a million seconds. A million seconds, you can, you can go back a million seconds, and it's 11 days ago. So, like, what were you doing 11 days ago? Can you even remember? I'd have to check my calendar, and I'm sure I would miss most of what I was doing. But, like, that's 11 days. So ele- it's just a second. It's, a, it's not that it passed so fast. So now if you go the difference between a million seconds and a billion, right, just one one digit, just one billion, how far back is a billion seconds? You think you can remember a billion seconds ago? A billion seconds ago is 32 years, which is which means... Like that's when I was like learning how to break dance and wearing parachute pants, like so. Put that picture in your head, and, and I'll, show, I'll show you my moves later. But but imagine that thirty-two years ago, some of you weren't you're not you you weren't here. Like, what if you went back one more digit? So you go a million, a billion, you get a trillion. How far back is a trillion seconds? You think you can remember that? No. No one's going to remember it. 32,000 years. That's how fast. Now, we're only at a trillion. How do you begin to even fathom what a septillion is? It is beyond our comprehension. And every single one of these three septillion stars... They produce the power of roughly a trillion atomic bombs every second. This is, these are numbers and concepts that go beyond our understanding. If you want a little perspective on how big some of these suns are, that's an average size star. So here's a neat little picture. This is Canis Majoris. Now, you see that little box in the corner? That's the breakout box that you see enlarged. So that little dot is our sun, and the blue dashed line is the Earth's orbit around our Sun. Then you can see kind of in the corner how big our Sun is in comparison to Canes Majoris. That thing exists in our universe. That's just one we know of. These are massive, incredibly powerful objects in space that we can't begin to understand. And there are countless of them throughout our universe. And God created all of it with just a single moment and a single command. Let there be light. That's it. Scriptures tell us he then calls them all by name. (laughs) Three septillion names? Are you kidding me? My goodness, I would love to see who can name every single person even in this room right now. I have to still go through with all three of my kids' names. I'm like, hey, Joel, I mean Logan, I mean Vaughn. Like, I I guess I'm having a hard time with just those three. You know, some of you are still calling me Chris. (laughs) That's the other guy. You know, some will call my wife Cheryl. She's Cheryl Kelly, but they get her confused with Kelly Bellamomo, so she's Kelly. They'll call her Kelly, which makes her name Kelly Kelly, which is really quite funny. You know, three septillion. You imagine trying to keep track. It's an impossibility. God isn't big. It doesn't quite capture it. He isn't gigantic or enormous. He's ginormous. No, it doesn't really do it. You don't want to use ginormous. Doesn't really quite capture it. You can't quite capture it. In fact, he's simply bigger than the words we use to try to describe him. God is power incomprehensible. So then we go on and we think about him when we apply it to his wisdom. And in the same way that God's strength is above our strength. You know, you could do like a marathon and you could light like a 100-watt light bulb for maybe half a day or something like that? Who knows? It's, it's so you, We have no power. We can't do it. But his wisdom is above our wisdom in the same way that his power is above our power. His knowledge is above our knowledge in the same way that his power is above our power. And sometimes, I don't know, I think sometimes we... We forget this, that God is inscrutably wise, wiser than anything that we can possibly fathom. And, you know, I think sometimes we picture God, he's like all brawn, no brains, right? Because we know he's powerful because we see the universe, but we still think like he's just a little bit smarter than us. Like, you know, like we should be able to negotiate with him and he'd be like, he'd be able to see the light of day. He'd be like, yeah, you know, actually, that's a really good point, Robert. You know, like you did a good job because he's like this all big, great big body and this itty bitty little kind of head. Like, I said, why would we think that? What would it mean for our lives if we actually began to understand that His wisdom is so far beyond ours? I mean, why do we refuse to obey the clear teachings of the Bible when it comes to telling us how we ought to live? God tells us to obey Him in order to avoid all sorts of of stupid suffering that comes about by the choices we make. But why won't we do it? Why? I mean, isn't it because we really think we're smarter than he is? He tells us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And we go, yeah, no, not buying it. I'm not so sure I'm I'm buying it. God says, hey, here is how you ought to live. Live for him experience ultimate joy and happiness and we go "Eh, I'm not quite sure what is it that's causing this to happen God is the God that we simply cannot understand he does these inscrutable kinds of things he speaks to people through through donkeys you know and he he talks to people through bushes that are burning but, but don't actually burn up Why? How can he do these things? Talking to people through dreams and and visions and doing the... You know, one guy will get killed because he touches a sacred object that's falling and another evil king will continue to live even though he's persecuting God's people. Why? How can he do these kinds of things? He's incomprehensible to us in so many ways. And God, he largely tells Job... I'm not answering to you. I'm not answering to you. You can't begin to fathom my wisdom. You wouldn't even be able to understand it if I did explain it. You simply cannot understand it. And we have so many questions about God. Why isn't he doing more? How come he didn't heal me? How come he didn't fix my situation? How come he's not making me... You know, healthy, wealthy and prosperous and all the kind of stuff that I think would make me happy. Why can't God take care of my family? How come I still have sick people? How come he's not doing the things that I've asked him to? How come I have to pray over and over again? People are still suffering and dying. And we go through this whole long litany of things that we think we would do better because we know better. And God never gave Job an explanation. But he did give him a revelation of himself. He said if, and this is Job's response to that revelation, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and sit in dust and ashes and show my repentance. Think about the humility that is being pressed into the deepest recesses of Job's soul through this revelation of God, And that's what we have to do is we have to deconstruct the self-sufficient self because our small God is causing big problems. And the solution for us is for God to get bigger in our hearts and minds and for us to get smaller. Which of course is just another way of saying that we begin to actually perceive the truth about the way the universe really does work. To live in the reality of the greatness of God. So this week we had this funny conversation among the staff. One of the key uh, staff people here at uh, the church was uh, introducing prayer time with, uh, Hey guys, uh, let's just say a quick little prayer. And uh, someone called him out on it and, and said, Really? That's, that's what we're going to do? We're just going to pray? Just? Like that was the big thing. We were like, just Going to pray. You know, you're going to approach the creator of the universe, the Lord of hosts, the commander of heavenly armies, creator of all things in such a light hearted way that we can just pray. And of course, you know, he was laughing with us. I don't want to tell you who it is, I don't want to embarrass him in any way because he doesn't need that, you know, with a whole new baby to take care of. Um, but uh, now, obviously, we don't really feel that way. And he laughed with us. Because it just shows how readily we approach God with a cavalier sort of an attitude. The creator of everything. I've been thinking about this in my own heart. You know, why don't I pray more? I try to pray every single day. And I do pray every day, like throughout the day, kind of just in an attitude of prayer. But like, I actually want to have dedicated time where I will sit before God and I will pray. And I don't do it every day. Why? Why? Something always gets in the way. What could possibly get in the way? See, there's something about my heart that's saying, you don't actually need to pray. Why? What is it? Maybe I feel like I've got everything under control. I mean, what kind of arrogance is that? Maybe it's because time with God is time away from the things that I think I want to do with my time, because it's my time. It's not all a gift from, from the Creator. Is it because I feel like if I were taking it into my own hands, then it would work out the way I want it to? Why would I want it to work out my way instead of God's way? See, what is it that's going on in our minds that lets us think this way? You would think that with all of the hopes and dreams that I have for Beacon, for all of you, you'd think that I could not stop but pray every single day so that God would do the God-sized dreams that we have. But instead, I continue to trust in my own hard work and my own smarts, which, of course, aren't even mine. Still a gift from God. We have to let God get bigger while we continue to get smaller. Psalm 131. This is a great psalm. Go ahead and open up there. Uh, It's a tiny little prayer written by King David. And in many ways, we get to see David sort of speaking in an ideal way. He had really wrestled with a lot of these kinds of issues going on in his own heart. And, And he's wrestling in sort of an ideal way with what can happen to a heart that is rightly positioned before God. So I want to read this out loud together as well, starting in verse 1, Psalm 131, verse 1. Ready? Read it with me. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. If we want God to get bigger, then we need to take a look at our pride. It's the only way that we can get smaller. And in verse 1, he talks about, This pride and this arrogance. And that means we've got to train our hearts away from pride and arrogance. You know, pride, of course, is considered the chief of sins. It's the greatest of the seven deadly sins. It's the original sin of Satan. Adam and Eve stumbled because of pride. And it's also exceptionally difficult to diagnose in the soul because pride will often mask itself under virtues. But pride kills. In this life, it kills relationships and joy, and it robs us of peace, and it also kills in the next life. You know, some of you here aren't yet followers of Jesus, and I'm hoping that one day you will all become followers of Jesus. That's my, that is my hope and my prayer for each and every one of you. But think about why you're not. See, something inside you is saying, I don't actually want to follow Jesus. I don't trust him enough. I'm not sure he is who he said he is. I know better. We think that we don't need him as a savior. Why? Because you'll save yourself, what? Through good effort, through hard work, because you're a good person. All along the scriptures are saying, no, this isn't the way it works. And yet we still resist him. How do we know if, you've, if we have pride issues? I mean, you can certainly do a little bit of a diagnosis, kind of look at your own heart and see. You know, if you tend to be a fault finder, you're kind of quietly judging people all around you, you might be dealing with pride issues. If you uh, have a harsh spirit, if you're experiencing contempt, if you're irritable with people around you, or if you're frustrated when things don't go your way, you might be dealing with pride. If you're Having superficiality, if superficiality is a thing, like you're only so deep and no, you don't really let anyone get in to, to see what's really going on. Or if you're defensive about everything, maybe you're dealing with pride issues. Maybe you're desperate for attention. If we scroll through your social media, would it look like someone crying out for attention? Why is that? If you're ignoring or neglecting the weak, if you have some sort of presumption before God about what he ought to do for you. These are all indicators of a soul that is wrestling with pride. Then he tells us in the second half of verse 1 that these things are too wonderful for me, which is, of course, what we saw Job say. He said, these are, these things are too wonderful for me. And I love this because that means that there is a humility that can come into our lives when we recognize the greatness of God his power, and his wisdom. Because there are simply going to be things in this life that we do not understand. There will be answers that we will not get, and there are trials that we go through that will make no sense. There are things about Jesus and the Scriptures that you aren't going to like. That I promise you. And what most people end up doing is they pick and choose what they like, and they ignore what they don't like. They act... As if their faith is simply a big buffet table. Like you're, I guess we don't do buffet salad buffet. I mean, like like it's like a burrito. You're going and you're going to Chipotle and you're going through and you're like, I'll take this and I'll take that and I'll leave this and I'll leave that. And that's how we treat our journey with God. I'll take what I want and I'll leave the stuff that I don't. Because what we know better. See, humility is the antidote to pride, and it lets us rest in God. Despite our weakness. You know, in one way, you want to beat pride, it means that you have to think about yourself in a different way. It means you have to think less of yourself. And it also means you have to think about yourself less. And humility will start to grow in that fertile soil. Remember earlier I said that God never gave Job an explanation. He gave Job a revelation. What I love about the scriptures is they tell us that they, that we also have a revelation from God. The writer of Hebrews says that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets and now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son He created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. See, these draw, the lines that are being connected between, between God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, they're saying, listen, all of the power and the wisdom and the glory that belongs to God, all the glory you see in Job and in the whole of the creation, all of that is revealed to the world in Jesus. Really? He-ho, all of that power, all those three septillion stars, they're all being fueled by the power of Christ alone. And how does God use all of that incredible power? And how does he use that incredible wisdom? The writer of Hebrews tells us. Not only does the sun radiate it, not only does he sustain everything, but when he had cleansed us from our sin. That's how God decided to use all of the power and wisdom at his disposal. He used it to save us from certain destruction. That's a revelation of God that will cause our hearts to be reoriented in the way that we most desperately need. Because now we start to see Jesus reorienting our hearts so that God gets bigger and we get rightly smaller. Now we get to trust in the power and the wisdom of God because of the life of Jesus. We can now rest secure in who we are. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Why? Because despite our failings, God loved us. And he forgives us of our sin. He's offered us the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Christ for us. That puts you in a right relationship with him. He is the giver. We are the receiver. We need his good gifts. And we can let ourselves now get small in our own eyes and even in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of others, we can now allow ourselves. We don't have to fight and clamor and claw and try to make ourselves bigger in any way because we are great enough to die for in the heart of God. And that matters Jesus is the manifestation of something that we can know about God that is unbelievably beautiful and powerful. It's that God loves us desperately. And he uses his power and his wisdom to bring us home. So what do you want to do this week? I want you to take Psalm 131 and I want you to make it your prayer. Read it every morning and read it every night. And and dedicate yourselves to praying every day. Allow yourself to get your heart right before God every single morning. Start your day with Him. For this week, let Psalm 131 help shape that time for you. Spend time adoring God. List out his, his incredibly inspiring, his awe-inspiring attributes and thank him for his goodness and thank him for the challenges and, and bring your needs to him because in fact, you are needy and he is worthy. And recognize that he is beyond our comprehension, but he has chosen to reveal himself to us in Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to go to the table of communion, but uh, as we do that, I just want to say uh, a word of prayer for us here. So let's uh, let's take a moment and uh, go before our Savior and Creator in a time of prayer. Lord, we often just come and, and, and we, we offer prayers before you, Lord, but we don't actually stop often enough to pause and to think about the greatness of who you are, of your power, of your love. Lord, sometimes we just come and we list a whole lot of things that we need or want from you. But Lord, what we really need is for you to become great in our, in our eyes, magnificent in our hearts, that we might see who we rightly are. Because then and only then, Lord, Will we begin to fully appreciate what you have done for us at the cross. We're praying, Lord, for a revelation of your great power and love in each of our lives so that we might walk with you in humility of heart. We pray it in Christ's name.